Oh Lord, we do ask that you would help us by the Holy Spirit this morning to love your word so that we have great peace and nothing can make us stumble in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we pick up our series again in the book of John, and uh, this will be actually our last chapter that we'll study together, uh, because I have done 18 and 19 over the years uh, for Easter services, so uh, this will actually conclude our studies, which I began in 2009. So we're on the last hall now, uh, chapter 17 of John's Gospel, and I must admit that this passage has been one that has been very intimidating. I've known it was coming for years, and, uh, and so now we're finally here, and this is, of course, the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this time that we have what is really the Lord's Prayer. We often talk about the Lord's Prayer being our Father who art in heaven, uh, but that was a prayer that was given to his disciples to pray. That was not Jesus' prayer that he prayed. This is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, this is the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ before he is to go to the cross. And we could spend another 10 years easily just in this one chapter. But uh, Lord willing, we'll probably only spend uh, three weeks uh, here. And the first week, we're going to look at the verses 1 through to verse 5. The first petition that the Lord uh, Jesus makes to his Father, the first, uh, con- uh, the first thing that he starts to pray for here in verses 1 through to verse 5, and that is for the glory of him and the Father. What is the first thing that we see him pray for in verse 1? Well, we read, Father, the time has come, glory your son that your son may glorify you he wants glory for the son and he wants glory for the father now why should Jesus receive glory why should he receive glory from God well there's many reasons but part of the reason why he expects glory from God is given to us in verse 4 verse 4 he says I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He has completed the work that the Lord gave him to do, that the Father gave him to do. And what is that work that he has been given to do, that he has completed, at least in part? Well, that is the giving of life. We read in verse 2, For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. What is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why did he come into this world? Well, it was to give eternal life to people who have been given to him by the Heavenly Father. But what does it mean to have eternal life? Well, verse 3 gives us a clear definition of what it means to have eternal life. And that is what I'm really going to focus on this morning, what it means to have eternal life from verse 3. What does it mean to have eternal life? Verse 3. Now, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What does it mean to have eternal life? It means to know God and to know the one he has sent, which is Jesus Christ. What does it mean to know God, though? What does it mean to know someone? Well, it's not just intellectual knowledge. To know of someone, to know of God implies really just that I've got some intellectual knowledge about God. A young man, he may claim to know a girl, but in essence, he often just knows of a girl. He doesn't know her in that he has a personal relationship with her. No, he knows of her. Whereas the word know in the 
uh, in the Bible, and particularly in the Old Testament, often implies that intimate personal knowledge of someone. If you know someone, you really know them. You don't just know of them, you know them. And in the Old Testament, this word actually is used, the word just to know someone, is used to the extent of even sexual knowledge of someone. When Adam knows Eve, his wife, it means that he knew her sexually and then gave birth, and she then gave birth to a child. And so knowledge extends to that most intimate of relationships. And so then what does it mean to know God? It means to share life with God, to have a personal relationship with him. Now, how do we get this personal relationship with God? How do we know God? How can we say we know God and not just I know of God? Well, there's a few ways that we know God. The first thing that we have to understand if we want to know God is that the knowledge must be granted to us. Knowledge must be granted to us. If a boy wants to know a girl, what must the girl do? The girl must give him some knowledge of herself. Otherwise, he will not know that she even exists. The girl must grant the boy knowledge. And it's the same with God. If he wants us to know him and to have that eternal life, then he must grant us some knowledge of himself. And we see that in verse 2. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life. And if eternal life means knowledge of God, then that is what is given to people. He might give eternal life to all those you have given him. God must give us knowledge of himself if we are to know him and to therefore have eternal life. But how does he give us knowledge? How can I have eternal life? How can I know God? Not just know of him, but know him. Well, one of the ways that we know God is by what we call general revelation. General revelation, which is really a way of describing his works in this world. His works of creation and his works of providence, the way he sustains all things, that is how we know God. And this is a, a way that we often know or we know someone is by the work that they do. If a boy wants to know a girl, if he's attracted to a girl and wants to know her, she must grant him knowledge. And one way that she grants him knowledge is by coming out of the house and by working, by doing things, by acting in this world, by her actions. He can know a lot about a girl just by watching her and observing her and how she moves in this world. But she must come out of the house in order for him to, do, to, to gain that knowledge of her. And it's the same with God. He gives us knowledge in creation and we can actually understand something of who he is by looking at his work, by looking at the creation around us and looking at the way he sustains that creation, we can know a lot of things about him. What can we know about God? Well, Romans 1 tells us, for, uh, Romans 1 verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. As people look at creation, they can understand two things, God's eternal power and his divine nature. They know those things from looking at what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So one way that we know God is by general revelation, by his works, and we see them all around us. Another way that we understand knowledge of God, that we receive knowledge of God, is by special revelation. We have general revelation, which is his works around us that we look at, but then special revelation, which refers to God's speech. And this is a way that we do know people, is by their speech. A boy may be attracted to a girl and he wants to be able to claim, I know her. 
And he looks at her and sees how she moves about in this world and the work that she does and the way that she lives. But if he really wants to know a girl, what must he do? He must hear her speak. If he wants to know what's going on in that mind of hers and what's going on in that heart of hers, he must hear her speak. We understand that speech gives us quite a lot of information about another soul. You may claim that you have a good relationship with your pets. You might have a dog or a cat, and you have a good relationship with your dog. But if you went home this Sunday afternoon and your dog started to talk to you, your relationship would change dramatically. Speech helps us understand someone, to know someone. And it's the same with God. If we really want to know God, we must hear him speak. And thankfully, God does speak. How has God spoken? Well, it's by the word, by the scriptures. One, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is God-breathed. This writing that is before us is God-breathed. It's God-spirited to us. And it's by this word that we can then know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Yes, we can know God's eternal nature and divine power, what is it? Eternal power and divine nature. Sorry, I messed it up. Uh, from Romans 1, we can know his eternal power and divine nature from creation. But can we know Christ Jesus from looking at a tree, from looking at the sunrise? Can we know Christ Jesus? No, it's through the scriptures that we know about the Messiah. And that's what we read in John 20, verse 31, where the apostle John is writing and he's talking about the signs that were done by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How can we have life? How can we have knowledge of God? How can we have knowledge of the one he has sent? It's by reading the things that were written about him, that were breathed out by the Holy Spirit for us to know. So how do we know God? Well, it's by him giving knowledge to us. It's by general revelation. It's by special revelation as he speaks. But it's also by the application of the knowledge of God to our hearts, where God applies his work and his word, his speech to us personally. A boy may like a girl, and he may want to know her, and he may look at how she lives, may watch her a fair bit, and he may even listen to her speak. He may have the opportunity to hear her speak and to talk about what's going on in that head of hers and in that heart of hers. But if he wants to claim to know her, to know her, not just know of her, but to know her, what must happen? Well, the girl must begin a relationship with him. A girl must begin a relationship with him. Otherwise, what is the boy? He's probably a stalker, is what we would describe him as. He knows of her, yes. He may know a lot about her by studying the way she lives in the world. He may know a lot about her by listening to her speak. But unless she speaks to him directly and declares a relationship with him, unless she, her actions are towards him personally, he cannot claim to know her. And it's the same with God. There are lots of people who know about the works of God. They know his word. But do they know God personally? No. It's only when God applies his work and his word to them personally that they can say they know God. Now, how does God do that? Well, it's by the Holy Spirit. 
by the Holy Spirit, applying God's work and word to the person personally. They can say, I know God works and I know God speaks, but I also know God works and speaks to me. His works were done for other people, yes, but they're also done for me. His work of redemption was done for other people, but it was also done for me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. He died for others, but also for me. And when he speaks and says he loves his people, that includes me. He's speaking to me. The promises of God that I'm reading in this book, they're not just for other people, they're for me. He's speaking to me. He knows me personally. And I know him. I don't know of him. I know him because he's my God. He's my father. I know him. And that's what needs to happen if we, need, if we want to be able to claim that we know God. Otherwise, we're just a stalker. We just know a lot about God. But we don't know him unless the Holy Spirit tells us that, yes, he speaks to you. And yes, his work is for you. How else do we know God? Well, it's also by asking for knowledge. We know God as a gift to us. He gives us knowledge. He reveals himself in creation to us, in general revelation. He reveals himself in special revelation by his speech. He reveals himself by the Holy Spirit applying his work and word to our hearts. But it's also by us coming and asking him for further knowledge that we know God. If a boy wants to know a girl, what must he do? If he really wants to know a girl, he must start asking her about her life. She will do things and he can learn a lot. She will say things she can learn and he can learn a lot about her. But if he really wants to know her, he must ask her for knowledge of herself. And that's what we must do as well when it comes to God. God begins the relationship with us by applying his work and his words to us. But how does the knowledge continue? Well, a lot of it's by us praying to him and asking for further knowledge of himself. And we see that exemplified in the New Testament. We see examples of it in the letters of, of Paul and particularly in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul wants the Ephesian church to know God better. So what does he do? He asks. He asks God to give further revelation to the church. And later in that same book, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He wants them to know the love of God. He wants to know, in them to know how wide and high and deep and long is the love of God. And so what does he do? He asks that God would reveal his love to them. So we can only know God if he gives us knowledge of himself in his works, in his word, by his spirit and through prayer. Now why was it we wanted to know God again? Why did we look at this this morning? Why are we looking at this this morning that we want to know God? 
Well, it's so that we can have life. Look with me again at verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We want to have life. What is life? Knowledge of God. Knowledge of God is eternal life. And we get that life even now. Because what is being spoken of here is quality of life, really, not quantity of life. We often think of eternal life as quantity of life, that I will have a very long existence. But here it's being spoken of as a quality, that we enjoy life, that we have a life, as we like to say, as opposed to not having a life. What does it mean to have a life? It's to know God. And so what is contrasted here is the life that believers have and the non-life, really, that unbelievers have. Unbelievers do not have a life. They do not have a life. They simply exist. A few weeks ago, Andrew Harrison, pastor at Southern Districts, came and preached here. And I listened to the sermon afterwards and enjoyed it very much, as I know many of you did as well. And he actually said this, and I, I, it was the, my favourite part of the sermon. He said, unbelievers just exist. They don't live. And that is what is being taught here in John 17 as well, that unbelievers, they simply exist. They don't have a life. And it's an increasingly painful existence that they have. As they get older and they understand more and more of the despair of an existence in this world with no purpose and the pain and suffering in this world and then increasingly what does that existence go towards? Well it goes to that point where they experience eternal suffering in hell which is not a life. That's not eternal life. That's an eternal existence. Whereas a Christian has a life. Has quantity of life but also quality of life through knowing God. And this is where the happily married couple exemplifies the joyous life so well of the Christian. How? Well, the boy and girl who have gotten married, they enjoy giving knowledge to one another, to the other person in the marriage. The boy and girl enjoy learning about the other person by their actions. They spend more and more time with one another and they learn more about each other by watching the other person live. The boy and girl enjoy learning about the other person by their speech. As they spend time with the other person, they speak to one another and learn about each other. One party may speak more than the other, but the other party enjoys all that speech, hopefully, as well. I did visit a couple once, and the husband hardly said a word. And I thought he was offended at something I'd done, but apparently just doesn't speak much. And, uh, and she spoke a fair bit on his behalf, I think. But, uh, but he obviously still enjoyed hearing her speak. And when he did speak, she paid attention because he spoke so sparingly. And the boy and girl enjoy hearing the speech and the works of the other person being applied to them. They enjoy hearing the words, I love you, from one another. They love that that love that is in the heart of their spouse is directed towards them. And so they delight in it. And the boy and girl enjoy talking to one another and finding out about that other person ongoing and asking questions that they love to speak and ask one another questions. And so they have a life, a joyful life together. 
It's a life that is with another person, which is why singles can struggle sometimes to accept the singleness that God has brought in their life. They can even be a little jealous of the happily married and feel they don't have a life unless they are married and have another person that they can speak to, another person that they can listen to, another person that they can watch and observe and see their works. But it is only pagans who don't have a life. Married believers have a life. Unmarried believers, single believers, they also have a life. That is what is being taught to us here in John chapter 17. That those who have knowledge of God, who know God, have eternal life. Everyone who knows Christ Jesus is happily married. Everyone who knows Christ Jesus is happily married. We have a life that is eternal, an everlasting life, if we know God. We know God gives us, as Christians, knowledge of himself every day in his word and his works. Every sunset should cause us to go, wow, look at what my husband can paint. I said this to my children recently. We saw a really nice sunset. I said, God's a great artist, isn't he? And that's our husband. That's the one who loves us. That's what he can do with light in this world and with a tree that we may study. And as I've gotten older, I used to not really understand the tree huggers sort of ideas. I know someone in our church actually likes to go over and hug an old tree. It's literally a tree hugger. But as I've gotten older, I've appreciated certain trees in the neighbourhood that are still there. And how old are they? How long have they been there? I saw at someone else's place recently, I saw a tree. And I said, that must have been there for quite some time. That's the work of God. That's the work of our husband. And so we have life as we enjoy his works, as we look at his works. And that's the case for all of the things that are going on in our lives. Our family, our friends, our work, our hobbies, food, every experience we have. It's the work of God in our life. And they're not ends in themselves. They are there to help us to understand how wonderful our heavenly groom is. And when it comes to his word, we, of course, delight in it as well. We find joy in his word. It is considered precious gold to us to have the words of our groom. What are we like? We're like lovesick brides hanging on every word of our new husband. And so we have a life in listening to his word. And every word that God speaks, we want to apply it to our hearts. Every work that we see of God, we want to apply it to our lives. We love to hear him speak and to know that he's speaking to me. Love to be able to say, there he goes again, telling me he loves me. I've heard him tell me he loves me again and again over the years. And there he is saying it again. And I love to hear my spouse say he loves me every day. It's so good to know that he's a loving God and that he loves me. He loves me. And every day we want to speak to God in prayer. Don't we? We want to communicate with him like a couple wanting to communicate with one another and find out more about each other. We want to ask him for what? For help in knowing what he would have us do as our heavenly groom. Asking for help as we look at his word and asking for help as we go about our days. Crying out to him saying, what, 
would I, what do you want me to do in this situation? I want to know you and what you would have me do right here and now. So this is eternal life. This is eternal life. A consciousness of God and an ever-increasing knowledge of him through his works, through his word, being applied to us and through us asking him for help. Do you have a life? Do you have a life? Can you say, I know God? Or can you only say, I know of God? I know of him, but I do not know him. Do you only know God through creation, but then suppress the truth? You're even happy for God to do work for you, but you don't want to know him. He's kind of like a a beautiful waitress at a restaurant. You like them to come over and do things for you, but you're trying to act like they're not actually there. A servant who's just there, and you'd rather them stayed out of the picture altogether. If you have to recognize them, it's only by what they will do for you. Is that how you are with God? Do you know of God through his word? Do you know of God through his word and creation, but you don't know him personally? You don't know that he speaks to you. You may recognise that the Bible is the word of God, but it's really just another nice book to keep on your shelf. It doesn't actually speak to you personally. You might learn a lot about God through his word. You might learn a lot about God through creation. But in essence, you're really just a stalker of God. You're stalking him. You haven't got a personal relationship with him. Or do you claim to know God personally but rarely pray to him? You rarely pray to him, you rarely spend time with him asking about himself and asking him for more knowledge of himself. You don't ask him for his counsel, what you would do in every situation, because you know what to do in every situation. You don't need somebody else to tell you what you should do and you're not interested in what he would have you do. I fear for some of us that knowing God is not our life. It's more of a hobby. Knowing God is more of a hobby on the side of our real life, whether it be work or pleasures that we're pursuing. That yes, we have a place for God, but he's not our life. He's a side project. While we really live six days a week, I have him on Sundays as a side project. What does that mean? Well, if that is you, it's more like you're separated or divorced from him. You may have claimed at one point, yes, I was married to God, but realistically, it's an annulled marriage. You were never with God in the first place. If you are not interested in him for your entire life, for all that you do, God has no say in parts of your life, then it's an annulled marriage. It's never been a marriage at all. If real life for you is sport, work, video games, what is that? It's not life. It's death. It's death. Real life is knowledge of God. You have an eternal existence? Yes. And it will be eternal, but it will be an existence, and it will be an increasingly painful existence. Eternal life is living with God in increasing joy. And if that is you now, if you're conscious that real life for you has not been knowledge of God. Come to God now. Get a life. Cry out to God for knowledge of himself. 
Ask him to show himself in his works and in his word. Say, speak to me. Don't just speak to others, God. Speak to me in your word. Declare marriage to me. Make me a part of your bride. And then real life will start. Real life can start for you today. A joy that you've never experienced before can start today as you know God, as you have true communication with God, communion with God, sharing every hour with him through the day. Children, start today. Start now. Start knowing God while you are young, knowing that he speaks to you, not just to your parents, but to you, so that you can enjoy life to the full, now and for eternity. And for those of us who know God, what should we do? Well, we should continue growing in our knowledge of God. How? By marvelling at God's works. Take time each day to look around you and marvel at the works of God. That's how you know him better, is by looking at what he has done. Learn more about him, that he is infinite, eternal and unchangeable and he's being wisdom, power, holiness, goodness and truth. It is so hard for me to preach a sermon, I said that at the beginning, but on this, even this subject, because I haven't even touched on the attributes of God and how we can learn more and more about him. I mean, I touched on it a bit with a quote from Ephesians about the love of God. But that surpasses knowledge, it says. We, we can never fully know God in his attributes, but we can grasp at it. There's a book that I can recommend to you on knowing God better, and it's called Communion with God by John Owen. It's an old book. It's one of uh, the most favoured books of John Owen. He's a difficult writer, but it takes you through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the communion that we have with each member of the Trinity. Excellent book. Study something like that and marvel at God's works and words which are described in Scripture and that books like John Owen's book help us to understand better. And, of course, we don't just marvel at God's works and words. We should be applying them to ourselves, applying God's work and words to ourselves, saying that this work is for me. This word is for me. He's speaking to me. I call this meditation, Christian meditation, where you take God's word and you think about it and you dwell upon it and you apply it to your own heart as a word for you, Yes, a word for lots of other people, but it's also a word for me. And then, of course, we should bask in the joy of knowing God. Bask in that joy as a precious gift of eternal life from knowing God. We should do what Jeremiah says, that quote that we had, for, uh, that passage that we had read for us from Jeremiah chapter 9 before, verse 23, where he says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me. That he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. There's something to boast about, to bask in is that you know God. Yes, you may be strong. Yes, you may be wealthy. Yes, you may be very talented. But what should you boast in if you're a Christian? Boast in the fact that you have a life because you know God. And this knowledge goes on and on for all of eternity. This is the wonderful thing that we can do. We can bask in the fact that we know him now, but we will always know him. And the joy never ends. It increases over the years. I just came back from a week's annual leave 
and it's enjoyable, uh, but a week's really just enough. Um, I find that I start to get bored. And I even run out of things to do with my wife, who I do love very much. But there seems to be a limit of what we can do together to learn about each other and what we can talk about. We can have a few meals out, which we like to do uh, every week. We try and have a date night and spend some time and talk about uh, what's been going on in our week. But if we've been spending the whole week together, we kind of run out of stuff to talk about. We, we know what the other person did because we've been together all day. And so what do we end up doing? We play board games. You know why they're called board games? Because you do them when you're bored. And so we go to that and I start looking forward to going back to work. And I might be because I'm starting to get a bit bored of spending time with my wife. And if you might find it hard to believe, but I think she starts getting a bit bored of me and starts being looking forward to going back to her week and to doing the activities that she enjoys through the week that don't involve me. It doesn't happen with God. We don't get bored with God. He gets more and more enjoyable the more time we spend with him, the greater the thirst for knowledge of him, for life with him. It goes on and on in this world. And then what will it be like in the next world where we get to see him face to face in Christ Jesus? We get to see at the moment we walk by faith and not by sight. But one day we will see. What knowledge will we gain by seeing the Lord Jesus move and act in heaven? Such joys still are to come. But of course we enjoy now with him. Those joys that are to come, that's when we will really live. Sometimes in the morning I, I feel kind of dead. Until I've got my coffee, I feel rather dead. Even as I have eternal life now, I feel rather dead. That won't happen in heaven. Eternal life is yet to come in many respects, but we do have it now. And you can increase in that life now by learning more about him, by having that knowledge of God and the one he has sent, Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer now. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we praise you as a God who is life itself. You are the author of life. And we thank you for giving us knowledge of yourself by your works, by your word, by your Holy Spirit, and by response to prayer so that we really live. We have life. We don't have an existence. We have life. But Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not seeking knowledge of yourself as we ought. And if there's anyone here, O oh God, who does not know you, and so does not have eternal life. Grant them knowledge now and help all of us who know you to know you better so that we enjoy the eternal life that you have given us. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.